Welcome to the Clovercrest Baptist Church podcast. For more information about Clovercrest Baptist Church, go to clovercrest.com.au. So lovely to sit in a book, and I hope that you've been following us in our reading plan as well. And Michelle launched our, our series with us a couple of weeks ago, and she talked about mission drift. And she said, you know, organizations can kind of start in one direction, but drift off in another. And it's so important that we know what we love and how we live. What do we love and how do we live? And then last week, Dubsy came in with Titus 2, and he talked about how do we stay on course how do we actually bring ourselves to knowing what, what the course is that and, and staying on course? So who and what are we heading towards? And Titus is such a great book to keep us on track, to keep us on track in our following of Jesus and to give us that true north because we're all gonna have to navigate challenges and obstacles and tricky aspects of our lives, but also in our following of Jesus. And Titus is a great book to help us in that. We might get to this third week now, and you're like, we're in the book of Titus, this is great, but who is, who was Titus? Who is this man? You might be wondering who Titus was and why Paul was indeed writing to him. Well, Titus was a Greek believer. He was taught and he was nurtured by Paul, and he became one of Paul's most trusted advisors and friends in the same way that Timothy did. And we learn about Titus through the New Testament. So Galatians 2 uh, tells us um, that Titus stood before the church in Jerusalem as a living example of what God was doing amongst the Gentiles. As the gospel was spreading out from God's people, the, the Jews, into the Gentile population, Titus was a living example of what God was doing amongst the Gentiles. In 2 Corinthians 7, we read that he later became one of Paul's special ambassadors. And now we read in Titus 1 that he's now the pastor and the leader of the church in Crete. What Paul was actually doing with Titus is he was raising him and he was releasing him. This is language that we've been talking about in the last month. Paul multiplied his life into Titus and Titus was serving the people of God in Crete and was pastoring in that place. So in many ways, Paul's a living example to us around our vision priority of multiply. And what does it look like for us as a church family to raise and release leaders? This is exactly what Paul was doing in Titus's life. And today we sit in Titus 2 in, in verses 11 to 15. And I want us to start today by, uh, by looking at the Word of God in a slightly different way. What I'm going to do is I'm going to read the text to us from three different versions. And you know what I know? I know God speaks through His Word. God speaks through his word. And there's this ancient practice called Electio Divina. It's called a sacred reading. And I'm going to read to us the word in three different passages. And as I do, I want you to dwell in the word. I want you to sit in the word. And I want you to ask the Lord, say, Lord, what, you, what do you want to say to me through the word today? What words and phrases do you bring off the page or off the screen for me today? So if you want to get up, to uh, Titus 2, verses 11 to 15. You can follow along on the screens if you'd like, but I'm going to read it firstly in the NIV translation. It says this, For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to the ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives 
in this present age. While we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. These, then, are the things that you should teach. Encourage and rebuke with all authority. Do not let anyone despise you. Let me ask you, is there a word or a phrase that just jumps off of the page or the screen for you today? Just take a moment to dwell on that. Now I'm going to read the passage a second time from the message version. God's readiness to give and forgive is now public. Salvation's available for everyone. We're being shown how to turn our backs on a godless, indulgent life and how to take in a God-filled, God-honoring life. This new life is starting right now and is whetting our appetites for the glorious day when our great God and Saviour, Jesus Christ, appears. He offered himself as a sacrifice to free us from a dark, rebellious life into this good, pure life, making us a people he can be proud of, energetic in goodness. Tell them all this. Build up their courage and discipline them if they get out of line. You're in charge. Don't let anyone put you down. What is it that God is speaking into your heart? What is he calling you to do or calling you to be? Just reflect on the passage now. I read it a third time from the English Standard Version. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself, for a people, for his own possession, who are zealous for good works. Declare these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority and let no one disregard you. Let me ask you, how is God asking you to go deeper with him today? How is he asking you to go deeper 
as he speaks through his word into your mind and your heart today. Just take a moment to reflect on that. See, I know God speaks through his word. He speaks to all of us. Those of us who are exploring him and those of us who are following him. And what I want you to do is I want you to take 30 seconds, turn to the person next to you now, and if you're online, I want you to drop it into the chat. Turn to the person next to you now, and in 30 seconds, tell them, this is what God just spoke to me through his word. Go, now, go. If you're online, drop it into the chat. What is God speaking to you today? Drop it into the chat right now. Do it. Have a conversation. All right, spin around now. Let the other person have a chance to speak. Go. If you're online, drop it into the chat. It's not too late. Excellent. Let me bring you back. Bring you back to the center here. So here's the thing. If we want to stay true north, if we want to be on track in our fellowship of Jesus and in, in following him in all the things in our lives, then the number one thing is we need to be in his word. We need to be in his word and we need to ask good questions. So as you read the word of God, ask him, Lord, what are you saying to me today? What are you calling me to be or do? How are you asking me to go deeper with you? Really good questions that you can ask when you're reading the Bible by yourself or as a family group. And if we're going to be a people who stay true north, then we need to know that God will speak to every single one of us. Coming to church on Sundays and getting into the word is fantastic. It's excellent. So important. But... We need to be participating in the reading and the engaging with God and his word in our everyday lives as well. So as we go through the rest of our time together today, there's really three pairs of words that come out of the text that I want us to explore in terms of what it means to stay true north. And they're these words, grace and salvation, training and living, and hope and glory. Grace and salvation, training and living, and hope and glory. Glory. So let's look at what Paul is saying to Titus about grace and salvation. In verse 11, he says, For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. See, what Paul is saying to Titus here is he's saying, This grace of God that has appeared, this is the person of Jesus Christ. The person of Jesus Christ has appeared and he offers salvation to all people. And we need to understand the importance of Jesus and how central he is to our story as Christians. You see, Jesus came from heaven to earth. He lived a perfect, sinless life, yet took on the sin of humanity on the cross. You can see a cross here if you're with us in the room. And he took on humanity's sin on the cross Although he was perfect, and through the work of the cross, 
through his death and then his resurrection, we have the opportunity to be saved. We have the opportunity for salvation. And our lives, they, 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 they don't deserve this. And this is what Titus is hearing from Paul. He's saying the grace of God. Jesus, the grace of God has appeared and now salvation is for all people. You see, the definition of grace is undeserving favor. It's undeserving favor. We don't deserve the grace that has been given to us by Jesus. It's not something that we can earn. We've just been singing about his reckless love. It's not something that we can manufacture, but as we come in a posture of surrender before God, Day in, day out, we learn and understand more of this grace, this person of Jesus. And salvation means to be rescued or to be delivered from peril. And you would know when you're rescued from some situation. You might be able to recall now a situation in your life where you're like, I was really out. I didn't think that I was able to be saved from this situation at all. I thought I might have even been dying or there was no turning back, no coming back. Maybe even your life story is that story when you met Jesus. You were so far from him and he has totally turned your life around. My brother-in-law, Scott, about six or seven years ago, was down at Waypinga Beach on the Flurio Peninsula, and he was surfing, bodyboarding. So, you know, surfers just call them like turtles anyway. But what happened was he was bobbing around in the Waypinga Beach, and he was ready to catch some waves, and a shark came down the coast. And this shark was a little bit hungry, but maybe Scott didn't have enough fat on him, because not super hungry for Scott. Scott's a little guy, if you don't know him. And anyways, this shark had a little nibble at Scott, and Scott was just freaking out. And on the top of the Waypinga headland, if you know the area well, there was a junior pro surfer. And this girl, she just scaled her way down the cliff really fast, and she ran across the rocks, and she jumped in. And it all happened within about 30 seconds. She must have been so fast, if you know the area. And Scott was kind of like flapping around, and this shark was circling around, and he didn't know what to do. And she grabbed him, she pulled him out, and she saved his life. He knows what it means to be saved. But the joy for us, his family... We didn't want him to die, and certainly not to be eaten by a little six-foot bronze whaler. We probably say to him it was more like three foot these days. We didn't want him to die. The joy for the family that he was alive and safe, and you know what it means to be saved. And in terms of your faith story, you know what God has saved you from and what he's brought you into. And Titus hears these words that Paul is saying to Titus that everyone gets an offer of salvation. And this is indeed good news. And you have to remember, Titus is a Greek believer. Titus might have thought, this good news doesn't come to me. But guess what it did? And you might be sitting here today, you might be joining us online, you go, Mike, you don't know my story, you don't know where I've come from, you don't know what is in my life. Well, guess what? Jesus does. And the grace of God comes to you. And Jesus says salvation is for all people. It doesn't matter what you've done, where you've come from. He wants to, through his undeserving favor, offer you life. He wants to rescue you and bring you into a life-giving relationship with him. And you might be thinking, yeah, but what do I need to do? Well, Paul talks to the church in Rome about this. He says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord 
and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. See, God is saying, what do you, what do you need to do? Well, you need to believe in your heart. And you need to confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and then you'll be saved. And remember, he's talking to this church in Crete who were lazy, who were self-indulgent, who were gluttonous. Like, imagine getting that gig as a pastor. Tough one to start, right? And that's where Titus is. And Paul's saying, salvation is for all people. You might need to hear that today. That what Jesus did on the cross, his death and his resurrection 2,000 years ago, is as relevant now as it was for the people in Crete. Do you know the salvation of Jesus? Do you know the life that you could have with him? If you've been following Jesus for some time, let me ask you another question. Are you grateful for your salvation? Do you live in the joy of the salvation that you've received from the Lord? So we receive God's grace and live in his salvation. As we do this, we actually, we are trained by God for kingdom living. It's fascinating what, what Paul's saying here. In verse 12, it says, It, which is God's grace, teaches us to say no to the ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. So as kingdom people, we actually enter this process of training and living. So we just don't receive this gift of salvation, put it on the shelf and say, oh, thanks so much, and maybe I'll pick that up when I get older, I think I'm about to die. No, not at all. We actually enter this process of training and living. This is what the grace of God does in our lives. So if we're following Jesus, and we could have been following him for you know, a very short time through to a, a very long time, we're still in the process. We never arrive. We don't get there. We're in this process. If you want the big theological word for it, it's called sanctification. It means becoming more like Jesus. This is the process of spiritual formation for us as for people who follow Jesus. And this grace of God, it teaches us to say no to things, and it helps us say yes to living more of a godly life. More of a godly life. And if you want to know what more of a godly life looks like or feels like, we see it in the person of Jesus. Just spend some time in the Gospels. How did Jesus treat people with grace? How did Jesus spend his time serving others? What was Jesus' goal in life? To please his Father. This is what it looks like to live a godly life and is the challenge for us. So, you know, as we learn to say no to things and say yes to things, we can say no to the things that essentially draw us away from a life with God, and we can say yes to the things that draw us toward him. Now, Peter puts it this way in 1 Peter uh, 1.15. He says, But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all that you do. So as we engage in this training and this living, there's a couple of things I just want to impress upon us today that might be helpful for us in terms of this training and this living. Uh, the first one is this, is that we need to start by listening to God and examining our lives against the Word of God. So we actually need to posture ourselves in a way that we listen. Listen to God. Say, God, what is it that you're saying? 
And what are, you, what are you speaking into my world, into our world as a church community? You know, how can I be more obedient to the things that you have for me? We need to posture ourselves to listen. This is why we start our year with prayer and fasting. This is why we intentionally engage in the spiritual practice of prayer and fasting and come before the Lord, because we together could have so many great ideas. And there is so much energy in the life of the church that we could head off in a direction and just go for it maybe without even properly listening and reflecting on what the Lord's saying to us. And I'm so proud of us as a church community that we've engaged in this church-wide prayer and fasting. A couple of weeks ago, there were some really brave people that got up and shared what God has been saying to them. We've had over 130 responses on the cards that we wrote down, and we've had a little team of people praying into what is God saying? How can we distill it into a few words? And we've, we've kind of got to that place. So I want to bring some feedback to us about what God has been saying to us as a church community through the prayer and fasting. The first thing is this, is to trust and abide in Jesus. What a beautiful thing. We're encouraged through God's people to keep trusting in God, keep abiding in Him, keep staying in step with what God is doing and saying to us as a community. The, the second key theme that came through was around unity and protecting the unity in the church. And you might remember a couple of weeks ago, David George was up and he spoke about the unity in, in the life of the church. And somehow, it, and sometimes it's just those little things that, that come in. And there's just these little things that take our attention off what Jesus is saying to us, keeping us on that true north. And, and whether it's a little leadership issue here or, or it's a problem here or another issue, they, these little things come in. And the enemy gets in and loves to throw a little grenade into that. And actually, we have high unity in the life of the church now. Now's exactly the time we need to protect it. As we move towards some projects in the God-sized dream and into what God has for us into the future, we need to be protecting our heart and be protecting the unity that God has in the life of the church because the enemy doesn't want that. The enemy doesn't want there to be any unity in the life of Clovey. Why would he want us to be effective? He doesn't want us to be effective, but God's got such a great plan for us as a church, and we need to protect the unity, maybe even put aside some personal things for the greater good of what God's got for us moving forward. And the third word that came through really clearly was that we're entering a new season, that we are entering a new season, we've been prepared for a new season, and it's about moving into this now. Now is the time to go. Isaiah 43 and Zechariah 4.6 were really key verses coming through. I'll read them again so that you know. Isaiah 43, forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I'm making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. See, God is the one who makes a way. He's the one that's moving us forward. And we need to trust him in all that we do. In Zechariah 4.6, not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. We can have the best plans, but we want to be a people of God who are led by the spirit of God into all that he has for us. You see, we can't train and live on our own or in our own devices. We actually need to start by listening to God. And the second a little clue I'll give you today is this, that we need to live out our faith in supported, accountable relationships. We need to commit 
to, and in this day and age, we need to commit to being in supported, accountable relationships. I don't know if you've realized, but society has shifted in the recent years. We are in such a hyper-individualistic society like never before, where tolerance and relative truth reigns. It just reigns. And if you've got a different opinion in any way, and particularly a Judeo-Christian opinion, you push to the margins, you become a bigot like that. That's the world we live in. We need to be in supported, accountable relationships. Because as you're in supported and accountable relationships, you actually learn what it means to be good company. You learn what it means to be a good neighbor. You learn what it means to wrestle with different ideas and be thoughtful and get the right tone in your response. And this is the rub of what needs to happen in life. Being isolated, being individualistic, it's not enough. Which is why, and I'll speak to our online community now, which is why we're, we're going to be taking steps in, in, in the next months to work out how do we grow digital community. We're asking these questions. How do we foster and grow digital community? How do, how do we help people be known in that place where it's different to maybe in a physical gathering where you can see one another? And I know in my life, it's so very important. And if you're in a leadership position in work or in life, you just know it can get lonely, so lonely when you're holding information and you need to make decisions on things. But that doesn't excuse being isolated. You need to be in supported, accountable relationships. All of us do. So for me, I'm a part of a life group here at church. I've got a couple of other groups uh, that I find community and accountability in. And these, and these relationships need to be supported, that there's, it's safe, it's trusted, you can talk about things, but they need to be accountable. You just can't spout off and think that that's okay. You need to get called on stuff. We all need to get called on stuff because we can all drift a little bit off. To stay true north, you need to be in supported, accountable relationships and not just necessarily around the people who are just going to agree with you, pat you on the back, on you go. So how do we train and live in this kingdom life? Well, we start by listening to God. And then we position ourselves in such a way against individualism and isolation and towards supported, accountable relationships. And that's for all of us. And I put myself in that conversation as well. So let me ask you, how is God training you up for kingdom living? Genuinely, how's he training you up for kingdom living? What is it? in maybe the last week or the last month or your last season that you've said no to because you know it's, it's ungodly? And, and, and what have you said yes to that's growing you in your self-control, growing you in, in your honesty, growing you in being more godly? What is it? So we've been saved by grace. We've been training and in training for kingdom living focused, therefore, on the hope and the glory, both now and when Jesus returns. Verses 13 and 14 say this, while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager 
to do what is good. You see, as followers of Jesus, we just don't live in the here and the now. We also look to the future. And we need to have a future perspective on life and be eager to do good. Do you have an eternal perspective? Do you have a perspective of being able to live in the here and the now with a view to what is to come? An eternity worshipping and praising Jesus. And then Paul says these things. He says in verse 15, These then are the things that you should teach. Paul gives Titus a roadmap. He gives him a roadmap in life and something for us. If you want to stay true north, engage God around grace and salvation. Be involved in training and living with the perspective of a future hope and glory. That was Titus's mandate for the people in Crete. The lazy, self-indulgent gluttons. Now, I'm sure Paul wouldn't say that about those of us in the West in the 21st century, would he? Heaven forbid. But where do you find yourself today before the Lord? What's he been encouraging you in your heart? What is it maybe that I've been speaking about that he spoke to you about through the text? Where are the threads as God's been speaking to you today? What are you encouraged by? What challenges you? How does what I've been bringing out of the text today speak into what it is that God spoke to you about as we read it earlier today? Just take a moment to reflect with the Lord now. Let's pray together.